this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Molinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch all my favorite animated shows. In this episode, Dipper feels self-conscious that Mabel is taller than him and is becoming the alpha twin. So he seeks out a magical way to grow himself to the same height as her. We're talking about Gravity Falls Little Dipper this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. Sounds like your kitty's doing good, Miss Bernice. She is doing good. Well, like she's chonked up. She's not. She's not chonky now. But I thought she was just gonna be one of those tiny little slip of a cats. You know, the ones that are like birds. They're they. It's like they have hollow bones and they're really light. Mm-hmm. But it turns out she's just a normal cat that was that didn't have enough food, and uh, so she's bulked out into looking like a very standard normal sized cat now. No. That's so good. I'm glad she's adjusting well, Miss Bernie's. I wish she was. I wish she wasn't so aggressively fighty though, because I I'd love to take her out on the front porch. We have one of those gloves with the brush it with the rubber brush on it. We have those for Zeb. Yeah. And I'd love to like take the. It's been 90 degrees here the last like week. I bet you she would shed like crazy and it would feel good. But I know like five seconds and she would just be like. Rah! Yeah, Zeb uh, is like that when it comes to his belly. You can brush his head, his back, his sides, but the moment you touch his belly, he's just like, don't touch me! When the neighbor cat sees me across the street, it starts heading across the street. I put the glove on, and the first thing it does is roll over on its belly to get its belly belly rubbed and deferred. I don't think I know this. What's the neighbor's cat's name? The laziest cat name you could ever think of. The second laziest cat name you could ever think of. Mr. Catface, Kitty. Kitty's the laziest. I had a friend who named his cat Kitty. He wanted wanted to name it Beelzebub, but he couldn't pronounce Beelzebub. And he would call the cat Beelzeba and Zalbablablablab. And so it just became Kitty. But no, this cat's name is Meow. And some people refer to it in the neighborhood as Meow Meow. I call him I, Mr. I call him Mr. Meow. I, I give him a little more respect than other people. My friend Megan's na- cat's name is one of her cats is named Kitty. I like K E Y Key. Key. Key 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 Key. key. <laughs> it's, it's just like a nice slurred down version of Kitty. But uh, he's down with the he he comes over like it's a spa. He just comes over, rolls on his belly. Do his belly and then he'll just roll over roll over 45 you know 90 degrees get his side flop over we'll get the other side get under the neck cross the back he's all good to go all sleek big cloud of hair rolling down the street oh good yeah if, if you get one of the like um oh what are they called like defibrillators or whatever the thing that brushes their undercoat but leaves their top coat there Oh, God, like you will pull so much fur off of a cat. Oh, yeah, those ones with the little tiny, tiny, tiny metal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like... almost like you're, they're almost like the, I think they're called carters for working the wool, taking the wool off uh, or working the wool off a uh, sheep. 
But yeah, I almost want to just ask the neighbors if I can like borrow their dog. And I like brushing dogs too because dogs are hilarious, especially if you get a big hairy dog and just sit there just like brushing clouds of hair off them. And they're the happiest dogs in the world. But you can just sit there and brush hair. And it's just like, how, how are you not bald now? How do you yeah. not look any different than you just did? It's amazing. I do it all day. I've been doing pretty good. I'm very excited about a trailer I saw today. And of course, by the time this episode, listeners, that you're listening to, uh, season one will probably be, be complete by the time this episode comes out. But if you're looking for a show to watch that's very much in the same vein as Gravity Falls, I cannot recommend enough The Owl House. Have I, have I told you about The Owl House, Chris? No, we have a restaurant in town here called The Owl House. Oh my god, really? Yeah, it's been here for years. You just said they tell, let them know that they have a TV a cartoon that's named similar to them. <laughs> they used to be an amazing restaurant. They were formed by this one girl. I can't remember her last name, but her first name is Meg. And she's a vegetarian. She's a vegetarian cook, but she doesn't just cook vegetarian stuff. But it was a heavily vegetarian restaurant. But she had every she designed every menu item in it for a while and it was and it was also affordable it was not it was like fancy food but it was go in and spend 10 or 15 dollars there and have a a good meal and then it went and then she left it and it went way downhill oh i hope that's not a omen for this show but no the owl house is great season one should be just about done by the time this episode comes out or already done but it has roots in gravity falls because it was created by dana terrace and she was a storyboard artist for gravity falls it has that nice balance of like childlike horror but also it's very light and humorous very similar to the show it's about a human girl named Luce, and she never fit in in at like at school or with her friends and stuff. And when she's supposed to go away for summer camp, she accidentally goes through a door that takes her to the side dimension where there are demons and witches and magic. And th- it's a place called the Boiling Isles. And she's the only human there. And she meets a person called Ida the Owl Lady. And Ida is the most powerful witch in the Boiling Isles. With Ida, there she has a pet slash friend slash roommate named King. And King is voiced by Alex Hirsch. And Alex Hirsch actually does a couple voices on the show because he also voices a character named Hootie. But pretty much the whole thing is Luce learning magic from Ida. But so far, because the reason I bring this up is because today they dropped the season 1B trailer, which is the second half of season 1. And, oh, it's so good. But in the first 10 episodes, they built so much mythos in such a short amount of time. And it's very deep and very funny and lighthearted and very emotional. And I can't believe the amazing work they did in 10 episodes. Like, there's this whole thing within this world. um, There's, of course, magic. But there's an emperor who very much like has all these laws against certain kinds of magic. So when, when you leave school, you are by law required to join a coven. And when you join that coven, you're stripped of all other magic except for being in that coven. And it's a way to for him to enforce his power. Well, Ida never joined a cousin a coven. She kept all her magic, which is what makes her the most powerful witch. So she's an outlaw because she never joined a coven. So the whole show is about Luce learning magic from Ida while they're constantly kind of like staying away from being arrested. <laughs> 
and it's of such a great like detailed magical world that has so much into it I, I actually blame myself for like judging it really quickly because because I knew it had so many roots in Gravity Falls. I mentally, when I first started watching the show, I kept comparing it to Gravity Falls, which they're kind of similar, but they're not. And that was my fault because it's a completely different show doing a completely different thing. It's doing its own story and it's so good because I'm rewatching it now to get ready for to get ready for Saturday when the show comes back because I'm also going to be writing reviews, weekly reviews for the rest of the season over on Geeky Girl Experience, so those will probably be up by now. So I've been rewatching the show and it's so good on its own and it was my own fault for comparing it to Gravity Falls because they're two very different shows doing very different things. So guys, if, if you're looking for a show to watch, um, it's probably done, season one's probably done by now and it's already been renewed for season two. So go watch The Owl House. It's so good. <laughs> It's so good. We will be talking about Owl House eventually on the show because it's it's just that good, and I, I wanna I wanna talk with you about it in the future. So what what, what age group are they shooting for with it? Same as like Gravity as, Falls, or is Gravity it older? Falls. No, I would say same as Gravity Falls uh, for sure. But Alex Hirsch is great as King. King is okay. Imagine like a small black like little dog terrier thing, and then put like a, a like a skull on top of its head. And that's King. He is just this adorable little... He, his name is King because he's the self-proclaimed king of demons. And he's just this cute little adorable demon who is both their pet slash friend slash roommate. And he's great. Like, and, But there's so much. There's so much mythos just wrapped up in this world. There's a character called the Bat Queen. And she is just so detailed and in t- she's only been in two episodes and she has this amazing backstory in just two episodes so it's just it, there's so much and i can't wait for the show to come back and we will definitely be talking about owl house at some point on this show so i'm very excited to for have somebody to to, to talk about this with me <laughs> eventually <laughs> not right now but eventually so go guys go watch owl house it's so good i had to gush about it because i had no one to talk to about this for like the last two hours <laughs> Ever since I saw the trailer, I was like, I need to talk to somebody about this. <laughs> you talk about I never even ever? heard of it. Yeah, yeah it's I, I it's it's one of those shows I think that's been like super flying under the radar. But Yeah, I, well I'm not a b I'm not much of a radar screen these days either. So, you know, it doesn't thing, take like, much to fly under my radar. Well that's the thing. Like I, I follow animation pretty pretty darn closely. So I always key in on a lot of the big shows, but this one has been flying under my radar for a while now. So I only just recently started watching it, um, maybe about a month and a half ago uh, during quarantine. And I was like, how did I not find this? This is so good. Yeah, well, quarantine gave people lots of time to find some new stuff. <laughs> I have definitely good. watched The Floor is Lava on Netflix, and that show is re fucking ridiculous. So ridiculous. <laughs> All right, well, you ready to talk some of Gravity Falls? I am ready. What did you think of this episode? I like this episode a lot. I thought it was actually kind of one of the more complex episodes. I find it very complex too. Like it takes a lot of the things that we've been going through so far this season, but then adds like several layers on top of it. So it's building off the work that's already been done. I'll I'll, I'll get to it when we get to the story of it. But the, yeah, the, it definitely takes a step, I think, in this one that I've been sort of waiting for it to take. Oh, I'd be, I, I can't wait to hear about that. So, well, as always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. Uh, we do everything in parts, so we're going to do background information. Part one will be our stories, themes, and characters. Part two is Dipper's journal entries from journal number three. 
Part three is Chris's Speculation and Theories Corner, and part four will be the cipher and connections to previous episodes. Let's get started. I did that out of order, so now I'm just like, oh, sorry, that's not where I say that. Oh, God. It's okay. I, they, they can, they'll, they'll follow you. I'm still figuring out the format of this 11 episodes in. So. All right, here we go. Little Dipper is the 11th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on September 28, 2012. It was written by Zach Pies, Tim McKeon, and Alex Hirsch. The director was Aaron Springer and Joe Pitt, and the storyboard artists were Nikki Yang and Chris Sonnenberg. Some extra information for you. The title is from the constellation Ursa Minor, which is also called the Little Dipper. When trying to reveal the wizard, Mabel shouts, Expecto Wizardneum, which is a reference to Expecto Patronum, a spell from the Harry Potter series. One of the books on Gideon's desk is In Art of War, which is a reference to The Art of War. And finally, and this is more of a speculation, fans have speculated that there's a possible meta wink wink in joke in this episode. When Mabel opens the closet looking for an invisible wizard, hanging in the closet is a flannel shirt. Series creator Alex Hirsch is well known for wearing flannel shirts, and he considers them to be lucky. So fans have speculated that the invisible wizard that's watching them is Alex Hirsch watching his own characters. Maybe it's Dumbledore because he's in the closet. Oh, I... Yeah, I know. I don't even I shouldn't even bring up Harry Potter world at this point in time. (laughs) I I will I will rage about J.K. Rowling. Uh, All we will say is J.K. Rowling is a piece of shit. I have to say I met a girl about uh, it has to be about five, six years ago. It was when I was maybe even longer than that. It was when I still had a public access TV show. And I was filming a concert at a local record store. And there was a girl there who was, oh, I know what it was. There was a little kid there. And I had a whole bunch of puppets. And the little kid was playing with a wizard puppet. And she kept calling him Dumbledore. And the the girl's like, oh, blah, 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 Harry Potter. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I like Harry Potter too. And she's like, J.K. Rollins is jerk. (laughs) (laughs) And that was like, that was like years and years. And I was just like, geez, lady what jk rowling do geez and then like guess she was way ahead of the curve (laughs) jk rowling has been a horrible person for the last few years yeah i i'm i'm not enjoying this but it's happens to every generation with their favorite artists at some point you know a certain percentage of them turn out to be turds and and it's especially even more painful when there's somebody that you really liked a lot <laughs> but at the same time that's sort of how it goes you know i'm gonna get up my soapbox for half a second and then we'll get back to gravity falls here we go so i have a harry potter tattoo and my tattoo is a heart with a lightning bolt through it the reason i have this tattoo is because i worked for several several years in college with the group the harry potter alliance and they're still around they Andrew are slack a- Andrew Slack, yeah. They are a humanitarian organization that uses Harry Potter to promote social justice. So I remember before gay marriage was legalized in the United States, working with this group to make phone calls to Massachusetts to try and vote for uh, gay marriage to be approved. We raised money to send five airplanes worth of food and supplies to Haiti after the earthquake. We sent thousands of books to Rwanda and to the Mississippi Delta to provide books for these communities. And then most of my college was spent going to Wizard Rock, 
Wizard Rock was music about Harry Potter that fans created. And at its height, there were 700 bands internationally that wrote music about Harry Potter. The fans have been writing fan fiction and fan art for years. There have been discussions and websites like MuggleNet and the Leaky Cauldron that's been doing this for years. And you know what? Harry Potter's is, is ours now. J.K. Rowling yeah. might have, have had created it, but the fans have taken it from her. And we have created our own world and our own and our own that's, from it. And that's if she art, wants to, and she can't wreck it uh, even if she wants to. And because that's, she can't take away anything the Harry Potter alliance has done. And, 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 she can't take away Wizard Rock anymore, which is yeah. still thriving. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's it's that's ours the thing. now. She she relinquished it, and it's ours now. And we have taken it, and we've made Harry Potter Potter our own. It's ours now, and so she can fuck off. Probably, if she writes any more Harry Potter, nobody's going to be as interested <laughs> anymore. And you mean the Fantastic Beasts and the quote unquote eighth books being the cursed child? I actually have mixed feelings right, about right. That's child. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but I, even more so now. You know, so I mean, that's that's the effects of her being. And even then, she didn't fully write either of them. She just had input on them. Yeah, here's here's the thing. She was a school teacher, and now she's insanely rich and famous, like insanely rich and famous. And it might have made her a little crazy, cray, or it might have uh, made the part of her that was cray, cray come out or worse or whatever but you know that you're sometimes the artists turn out to be garbage and it's like i always do the math of like when when i have an artist that i just like hate and think they're a you know a deplorable human being it depends there's there's artists that are deplorable human beings because they're miserable i add it up in my mind as to like whether they're causing human misery by their jerkiness the more that they, ca- if if they're causing human misery with their jerkiness, they don't get money from me ever again. But I will not let them take away my enjoyment of anything good they've ever done because it's partly it's it's it becomes part of you. That's the thing about art that you enjoy; it becomes part of you. I have made so many friendships through Harry Potter. It's been such a formative part of my my upbringing and my that was. Harry Potter was pretty much my college experience was yeah. wrapped up in Harry Potter. It's time that no, like it, I, it's something that it happens, we claim. It happens to the, in my generation, it was the Beatles fans, like became big Beatles fans and then ended up reading books about John Lennon <laughs> and seeing interviews with like his ex-wife and kids and stuff. And we're like, ah, what a jerk. I, I've been kind of doing this reckoning thing of like separating art from artist. But to me, like in this case, she has given this up for so long. Like the fans have claimed Harry Potter for so long that it's ours now. It's not hers anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. ours now. And it's something that she will never take away, like my years of Wizard Rock and being on a YMCA camp outside of St. Louis at Rockstock for, for three days with my friends singing music about love and singing music about gay love because the Lumping willows have a song called draco and harry about draco and harry being together like she can't take that from us anymore it's it's not hers anymore yeah it's not hers it's ours now and she can't have it when it was hers nobody knew anything about her personality anyway really besides just like that sort of stuff it took years and years of her getting bored and probably getting her brain rotted on twitter getting involved in twitter controversy or whatever but 
who knows what's going you know she might be having she might you know she might have internal trans issues that you know are, she's acting not like by, i should say we are not rationalizing her behavior no, I no, was... I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm just trying to, exp I don't know, she could be generally hateful about it, but like, I don't know, people who get like really hateful and like doubly down on it usually have something sort of like some internal hate going on in loathing going on, so. Doesn't make it okay. No, it doesn't make it okay <laughs> at <laughs> all. That's usually the most like horrible kind when those people are like that. All right, getting off soapbox. So, yeah. Gravity Falls, thanks for coming to our Harry Potter TED Talk. <laughs> so what was your favorite part of Little Dipper? I, I've got two favorite. I've got more than one. I have three. <laughs> um, I have three, but I'm bumping one up into a more serious note in the main story. But uh, I, I have Gideon calling his lawyer, hun. I need your arms, hun. I know. <laughs> the delivery of that line is just hilarious. It's just hilarious. And I love Mabel sitting in the gumming ba gummy bag. It's a great, great gag. And the way they, they, the way they just like cut, you know, he's talking to Mabel and then they cut and she's in the gunny, gummy bag, just like, jom, 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 jom. Making the best out of the situation. Yeah. So those, those are my two favorites. My, I have three. One is the line, is that mountain lion tiny or just far away in perspective? Ah, perspective, perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I've always liked that line. I love when Mabel is trying to find the invisible wizard that the chess pawn is still gigantic in the background and she just, doesn't notice it. <laughs> just she stands, There's got to be something here. To... And there's a fucking giant chess pawn sticking out of the roof. There's a um, hole in the roof, yes. Yeah, and I also love Cheekums. I, I love, he's just the big dummy dumb. It's just, I love Cheekums. I wish I wish they could have freed Cheekums. Like, they rode Cheekums out, and Cheekums was free of Gideon. Like, I, yeah, like, no, where... Cheekums is just a normal guinea, he, he acts, it's, that's what's funny about it, is he acts just like a guinea pig would, just stands there and is like, Rrr. I know. I wish they freed Cheekums. But I, I love him. He's just a big there's old a t There's a t-shirt for you right now. Free Cheekums. Free Cheekums. <laughs> Oh, I wonder if I could draw a Cheekums. <laughs> I did draw Waddles the other day. Yeah. So I wonder if I could draw a Cheekums. That's, that's a really good point. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get into the themes and the characters. I'm actually interested. you Because you said at the top of the show, this did something that you've been waiting for the show to do. And, and I want to yeah. know what that is. So it's I, done I want the, you to it's start. Done, it does it a little bit, but this is the first time it really integrated the A and the B plot. But oh. It it started out with them and it started out with your standard A and A plot with them, which would be that they're in their competition to see who's taller. And then the B plot is is Grunkle Stan versus Gideon. They don't even just cross paths. The two whole stories merge together. But it doesn't cross another point that I'm waiting for to where which I don't think is probably gonna happen until in somewhere in season two. Is where Grunkle Stan is actually exposed. Right now, it's like a Three's Company joke where Grunkle Stan never sees any of the paranormal stuff. It just goes on around him. He misses it all. He never sees the kids shrunk down. He doesn't know that there's a shrink, you know. He thinks a shrink ray is just some little goofy thing that Gideon's got, you know. He, he's just like, okay, kid, I, I have no idea what you're talking about and just rolls him out the door. Mm -hmm. But their, their actual stories melded together 
to where it, it, it sort of finishes off together. You know, they, they, they resolve their stories together. Yeah, Which is something I've been expecting to happen more in the show, and it's and and it's definitely it's definitely done that. It makes it a little more complex, and it and it's a little break from the formula so far. That's true. I'm trying to think of all the episodes so far if they ever did come together, and I they sort of did with the sea monster. They sort of like his B story was he was sad because kids were hanging out with him. And then they hang out with him at the end. But it isn't really like, it is sort of a resolution to his story, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the sea monster. He's off somewhere else when the whole sea monster stuff goes on. He's off haranguing other parents with their kids. Yeah, the only other thing I can, I guess the opening episode with Taurus Trap, maybe? But even then, no, I think that Taurus Trap doesn't really, with the gnomes, doesn't really have a B-plot. It's just yeah, no, the first he's episode. Just sort of, yeah, he's just sort of introduced in that one. And then he's given a little little side story in each one that often sort of complements thematically their story or whatever. But this was the first one where it was all just sort of like they're in their shrinking plot, and then it tur- and then it gets mixed in with the plot for Gideon to take over the the shack. Let's let's talk about that. So what did what did you think of Gideon in this episode? Because he went from being kind of Dipper's rival to also pining for Mabel, but now he's getting mixed up with Stan because Gideon now he's wants to just take the, the he's just a super, He's just a supervillain in this one. He just became the heavy. It's it's still funny, but Gideon took a dark. Uh, Gideon was always kind of dark because he's got that a little bit. Of, he's like a born again Cartman sort of. Thing. He's got a little. <laughs> You know what I mean? He's got a little Cartman in him. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, you're right! Oh my god! Yeah, he's a little sociopath. Or psycho- psychopath. Not really sure which. Hold on. <laughs> oh my god! I never thought of him that way before! Okay, sorry, but were you saying I was laughing too hard? Well, I I thought this was the the so far the darkest portrayal of Gideon, and not just because of him, you know, because he's uh, he's buffoonish in this. His 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 attempts at, at getting the shack are are just like brushed aside at every. But the real horror comes out with his mom. Oh, I was seen... about that because you had uh, in the in Gideon's first episode, I brought up his mom and. You had speculated that she would be kind of like a southern lady, Bible thumper, kind of southern belle type. No, she's... I've I've been in households, like dysfunctional households like this. This is... The, the Gideon family dynamic is a horror story. It is a dark horror story, you know, with Gideon dominating his dad and the mom scared to death and neurotically cleaning... You know, keep clean, must keep cleaning. I think as a kid, it would be funny, funny to me. As an adult, it's, it's not terrifying. funny. It's yeah. dark. It's dark. That's a dark household that they're living in. I've like, I've seen dysfunction like that and like been in households like that with a scared mom and stuff. A scared mom always like puts a feel of domestic abuse in it, but I have a feeling it's more of just like 
Gideon's well, verbal abuse. It's verbal abuse from Gideon, probably. You can also like really see it on how they light stuff because when they're in the living room, that's their front. Their front is we're bright and we're happy, and I'm little old me, and look how cute I am. But when you go into Gideon's room, it's all dark and green, and and there's not a lot of light there. And it's it's their their actual physical house is a good representation because they have this bright, happy front. But then there's darkness the further back you yeah. get into it. I think I brought this up the first time Gideon was in. It's kind of like Twilight Zone, the movie, and the original Twilight. There was a, the a sequence boy. about the kid with the psychic powers, and his yeah. mother was, ter- you know, terrified in that. And but like, it's it's hard to say. Or, or his father is almost so jolly that you think that maybe his father has an abusive side with maybe takes out Gideon's stuff on the mother and stuff. But that's just. That's just what I start thinking about when I see all the images in this show are so like bright and colorful and cartoony. And then you have mom who's like something out of a Tim Burton movie. Her hair is like points. Everything is sharp about her and she's scrawny. And you know what Gideon actually reminds me of? And like his dad uh, it reminds me of like beauty pageant children. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and for so, sure. And so, oh, like, yeah. they let honey the boo-boo. kid... Oh, my yeah. God, it's Honey Boo Boo mixed with Cartman. That's what he is. Oh, my yeah. God. It has that kind of feeling of, like, Bud is his enabler. Um, I will. I, I personally think that Bud does have a dumb side, so he is just kind of, you know, of course, Gideon is, like, actively manipulating Bud as well. But Bud um, knows it. Their dialogue, he knows it. Yeah. I mean, D- Gideon clearly tells him what to do, to the point of where he's like, oh, you know, drive me to the shack. And the dad's like, I've got cars to sell. And then he causes a whole scene. And then two lines of dialogue later, the dad's like, so you still need that ride? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where the trouble begins right there. That's That's the core of it all right there. Gideon does have that like child beauty pageant kind of feel to him where he is completely manipulated and just takes advantage of his parents and there's just so much and then just you know it it didn't show up in this episode but we have the added knowledge that he has one of the journals um and we know how much magic and stuff is wrapped up in these journals and Gideon's kind of like in this weird place of how much does he know and how much doesn't he know He's aware that there's something going on. And he's one of the few characters in Gravity Falls that knows that there's something bigger happening. But, because he says it right in this episode, like, I need the mystery shack because it has great power. He he might not know what the great power is, but he know. Uh, and we don't have a lot of characters that are very aware of all the things that are happening around them. Pretty much it's just Seuss, Dipper, and Mabel. And I would say a little bit Wendy, because Wendy saw the ghost and Robbie saw... Uh, Rumble McSkirmish last episode, but I, I think that's what's so interesting about Gideon that he's not all knowing, but he's aware like the other characters are, and I think that's also part of what makes him such a good rival. Yeah, no, this is an amazingly like children's shows are amazingly complex these days compared to what I mean. There's still children's shows, but that family dynamic is a real that's a real problematic. This for for a kid show. This is like I mean I think it's Im- important lessons. It's just very very uh, usually usually when you have a kid and there's often a rival kid and that kid is usually like it reminds me of uh, Archie comics. You know the 
the the foils in like Archie comics or like the the um, Harvey comics, except for Richie Rich. Except actually, Richie Rich had one too. We're usually spoiled little rich kids. We're usually the foils in those, and you know the parents spoil them so they were little little brats and stuff. But their parents were always generally nice and stuff. They were just weak as far as spoiling their kids and stuff. And there was a little class sort of stuff in there. But it was just sort of pop psychology. This is like, this is this is like something out of therapy. <laughs> yeah, but something that they do, I think, so well with writing Gideon is taking his family dynamic and stuff like that it would be so easy to make it really scary but they keep this layer on top of him that he's still just a kid so like he's in the middle of doing his maniac like maniacal plans and then bud's like hey you want ice cream he's like oh my god ice cream yeah so and, and it's he's really not... nice writing so it's not he's never too scary because he still has that layer on top of him of he's still a kid He's intelligent and he talks big, but when it comes right down to it, he, he kind of flubs it every time, you know? And yeah. that was a joke in this one, the, the first one. He's like, aha, I got you to sign. And I was just re- getting ready to write a note going, that is not a legal signature because it was under false pretense. And then it's just like, oh, but Stan double-crossed him, you know, because he was ahead of ahead of him. And and it was just that all the, all the way through, opened up his can of uh, termites on him and stuff like that. So... He, he gets inflated and deflated all the time, which is great for a kid's kid's thing because it, it you know he's not too horrifying. But as an adult, the, his family has been literally the scariest thing <laughs> about this whole show so far. That's like his family dynamic to me. It, like it, you could write an adult story, like a really dark, scary adult horror novel about you know you you could. You would set it in the same real world as Gravity Falls, but you could take those characters and make it into like a Stephen King book. It has been written. It's a Twilight Zone movie you keep bringing up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My last little side note about Gideon, though, I just love the entire scene when Dipper and Mabel are tickling Gideon. I love Stan's whole reaction of just like, don't worry, champ, your evil plans (laughs) will work in the future. And it's that's such a interesting scene for me with Stan because of course like he has no idea what Gideon is doing he doesn't know what Gideon's pointing at him but he still takes that moment to be both con artist and parental at the same time yeah he uh, so yeah yeah and like I like like (laughs) if he was truly parental he would have picked him up and taken him home said something's wrong with your son but he's he's grunkle Stan so he just slowly rolls him out the door with his foot there I you go. That. All right. Get you out of here. I love that last one. I was like, you're the light of my life, too. Close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they actually they actually like animated a good like look on his face of just like humoring the kid. And yes. uh, all the while while thinking to himself like, geez, what the hell? <laughs> I know. I, actually, I will say you're right. It's not very parental because speaking as an aunt. I don't have kids. I have a bajillion nieces and nephews. That is a very uncle slash aunt thing to do where you're just like, yeah, champ, you got it. Okay, now here, I'm going to put give you back to your parents and let them deal with you. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very aunt slash uncle thing to do. Aunt, but aunt Hope's got to have her cigarettes now. Watch her, <laughs> watch her stories. Nah, like there's there have been definite times where I'm just like, yeah, this is fun, and the kid starts throwing a tantrum. And I'm just like, all right, Jen, here's your child. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. 
You, this is this is now out of my pay grade. I used up uh, all the good stuff. Here you go. <laughs> but I will say, you know, I I have calm mini tantrums, and most recently, like my um last time I saw one of my nephews, he accidentally hurt his mouth and he was bleeding. So I was sitting with him and I was giving him water, and he was spitting like washing out his mouth and stuff like that. And I told him his story about how he was gonna. I was like, you know what this means now. You can be a vampire. And he was like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, you've tasted blood. He's like, I'm going to be a vampire now. And I was like, yeah, get back out there, kid. And he's like, yeah, I had hope. And I was like, yay. So I don't always pawn nieces and nephews off on parents. But when I do, it's because I'm an aunt. <laughs> I wondered if you were going for the uh, for the tequila ad meme. I, I did. I did. I tried. So I want to talk about the twins a little bit because... Like, this was where the story kind of, for me, got a little bit more complicated. And it was building on a lot of the stuff that we've had so far. Because we've had a lot of different episodes where he's been kind of, like, building his confidence. And he's been, like, being a man with manatars. And he's been learning how to find his voice and stuff like that. Mabel, of course, has just been very Mabel the majority of this time. We've seen, at times, people like Pacifica take away uh, Mabel's confidence. But for the most part, like, Mabel is a very confident, happy person. And I think what's so interesting about this episode is both Dipper and Mabel are both the attackers and the victims at the same time, which is very nice and very complex. And it's a very sibling story where neither one of them is right, but you understand why both of them are being, you know, in a very sibling way, being like messing with each other. But they're also, they both have their own reasons of doing it. And it gives this a, a very complex layer of some of the stories that we've been building for the first 10 episodes. I'm a little little different. I, I don't think it's it was necessarily bad, but I think they cover a lot of the same territory with the twins as far as the, the quote-unquote lesson of each show. Like, they're, they're very similar. I mean, but they're... They're, they're always shades and nuance. And this one has a shade and nuance of puberty to it, which a lot of them have had, too. A lot of pubo going on in this in this show. But I thought this one was, like, a little bit on the nose, like, where they're growing over each other. And when they resolved it, it was just resolved sort of in a little scrum they had where they were like, all right, you know, let's resolve this. I don't care. Okay, all right. And I don't think that they were focusing on the lesson i think they had to have the lesson part in it but they weren't focusing uh, i think the story of it of the of the whole trying to take over the the mystery shack sort of hurried along the lesson part of it to where when they fixed it it was just sort of a, a little bit of dialogue between the two of them that it was done i liked the scene where they were ripping on each other and and then and then jesus gets sucked into it without meaning to and they're like, hey, yeah, Susan's joined in. And he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that I don't want to pick too. on anybody. <laughs> I, just, I like that scene with Grunkle Stan, too. He is just like, I was woken up by the sounds of mockery. Yeah, he's the we, target who are we of the mocking? Are we mocking somebody? That's the, I, I, I'm familiar with that feeling. It's kind of like last week when Robbie was going to fight Dipper. And he was just like, you hold it right there. And he runs out. He's like, I thought there was a fight. <laughs> well, then if you disagree, I'm just going to read my note. And then we can move on. I, I liked it um, kind of taking a look at this, the twins, kind of like them looking at their strengths and reevaluating that. 
because a lot of Dipper's skills are very quantifiable. You can quantify his skills by, like, how many mysteries does he solve? And, of course, we saw in this episode, like, checkers and chess and all these things that, like, we can quantify by what Dipper is good at. But Mabel doesn't have that. Her strengths are much harder to quantify. Like, she thinks outside the box. She's a very creative person. She's friendly and personable. And those are not things that you can put, like, like a check mark of, yay, I won. But what I liked about this is it showed that Di- that Mabel really cares about being good at things just like Dipper. She might not be as vocal about it, but it's something that she that she wants and she wants to be able to succeed at stuff like her brother. And so that's that's why I liked the whole plot line of her like having the extra millimeter and being taller because she finally has something quantifiable that she can compare herself to Dipper. Yeah, I like that story because it's something that she can be like, look, I'm good at something too, just like you. And it's a, it's a very, very subtle story. And, and I liked that because it, we often see Dipper winning while Mabel is such an outside-the-box creative person that it's hard to exactly nail down the things like on paper, like this is what she's good at on paper. Here's a check mark. So she, I, just, like- she just wins by like having the right attitude at all times. She just wins by like being comfortable and enjoying herself but it's not something that she can like hold up on a sheet of paper and be like look i did no yeah no it's more it's it it, like she and seuss have more of a sort of zen thing going on with that you know where they're just sort of like going along with it and and dipper is the one who's always like sort of questioning himself and directions forward and stuff like that yeah so that's that's what I liked about their their story and the whole competition of this episode too because it's kind of a new side of Mabel where she cares about being good at things and it's one of the first times she's really vocalized it um, and and Dipper actually is saying like oh these are things that you care about too yeah. so that's that's what I well, really liked about and this story. and and then the two of the biggest the two biggest tasks that they had to do in order to complete their mission was to fly the dollar sign and to uh tickle his armpit which were both things that they had to do as a team and yeah. they, they made it very they, they made it a big point to show that they both had to sort of like work together to keep the dollar sign flying where they they had to work in tandem to fly it back to the to the shack that's something I really love because that that's a rule that Alex had for this show is at no point that Mabel and Dipper ever hate each other. So even when they're fighting, it, I still like being able like seeing them like working together even when they're disagreeing. They're such a good team. What did you think of all the the I guess it's the monster of the week, but it's a crystal. What did you think of all the like the size shifting for the as the quote unquote monster of the week? It was cool. I like that you can just go and get more crystals if you need them, though. That, that uh, was the yeah. thing when they broke it at the end, and they're like, "Oh, we better glue this back together." It's like, there's hundreds of crystals hanging out there. I thought I thought the size perspective stuff was neat. What I kept getting distracted by was the the mirrors and thinking, "Man, what a pain in the ass it must be to animate that because you can't just put the same picture in every mirror." Every mirror is from a different angle. It's a different kind of mirror. Uh, when when you, uh, I notice, there's not an awful lot of shots of like a lot of people in a mirror moving because man, that must have been a pain to animate. Animate like thirty Grunkle Rexes from different angles, all doing the same thing. I I love it too. Like actually, but one of my favorite things in just any TV shows and movies, like 
is when you they play with perspective, like where something is super small or super big, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, or God help me for saying this, the Cats movie. I love when you have these different perspectives. So like if you're a very small person, you have these much bigger perspectives. Um, that's actually one of my favorite things in media. I've always loved those stories. And I love just the animation, like the scene when Mabel first figures out that the flashlight changes sizes and they're just fighting back and forth and like shrinking it their heads and making giant heads and giant hands and they're falling over. Like that's just a really cool sequence. Uh, and I like all the different animals, like the tiny lion and like the massive caterpillar that just goes off and destroys cars. There's just so much fun in it. And it's like, this is just one of my favorite tropes in TV show, period. I love this trope. Oh geez, you might have to you might have to check out Honey I Shrunk the Kids the series. I feel like I watched it when I was very little. You would have been real little when it came out. The guy who the guy who produced it and was involved a lot of the people involved were, were really uh, good filmmakers. So the TV show is pretty good. It has a lot of lot of tiny and large going ons in it. I did definitely see all the movie, like the Honey I Blew Up the Kid, where they blew up the toddler. Yeah, yeah. Not like a lot, but like you know, they made him big, not explosions. Because um, I distinctly remember like the parents being in the toddler's pockets, and then Honey I Shrunk the Kid like, again, and like all the teenagers were tiny this time, while the, like the adults were big, and and just I yeah, it's it's one of my favorite tropes. I I just mostly because I like seeing how they adjust for. For the perspective, like one of the best shots of the show is when Gideon shrinks them and you just see Gideon get bigger and bigger mm -hmm. and bigger. That's a very beautiful shot. And I always like when they play with stuff like Gideon's laughter and because he's huge, it's just like, wah, 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 wah. but then we see him and he's just like, hee, 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 hee. It's, it's just a trope that I love in media so much. The only other note I have, it's just a really cute moment. I love when Seuss puts on Stan's fez and he's just like, I'm going to run the mystery shack someday. I like Seuss's line. I, I really Seuss that up. Oh, I know. Seuss is like subtly good. Like he's not in a lot of this episode, but the scenes he's in, like he, he's really good. Yeah, but he's a, yeah. He's always a good character, but yep. I just I love when he puts. <laughs> this is a weird, weird little. But this all of a sudden, this reminded me of this. Have you ever seen the show Newhart? Not the Bob Newhart show, but Newhart. No. It was set in a bed and breakfast. And it just is about Bob Newhart, who's a wimpy little writer. He writes, he's a, he's a writer and he's well-to-do. And he writes, like, how-to books. So he writes very boring books. And he's got this, like, bombshell redhead wife who's very intelligent. And they buy a bed and breakfast in this little, like, New Hampshire town that they think is good. And it's totally redneck. And there's just all these redneck characters. But they they're not played... They are played towards stereotypes, but they're way more nuanced than they're all very well made characters and they don't appear a lot of the time. But when they do, it's a lot like Seuss, where there's like more to them. They don't do a lot, but they just get a couple lines in that are you're, you're always glad to see those characters. You know, they, they 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 don't just come in and do like old man Scoggins or whatever. He does exactly what it's expected when he comes in. He he acts just like uh, your stereotype. Yeah, man, you know. Yeehaw! Whereas, whereas Seuss is obviously a, complica a complicated slash simple character, and yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's gold, gold every time. Yep. But 
you know, seeing Seuss have that ambition is also a really nice layer for him too. He's not just like the Zen well, character that's always around. That's 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 where you move up to when you're in his spot. That's that's your that's your place to go. He's obviously decided that this is his place. That to quote Mabel um, from when she met uh, Grinda and Candy, he's found his people. But that's all I had for this. Did you have any other notes? Nope. I think I got all my notes. All right. Well, it's time for me to pull out journal number three and read the entry in the journal from this episode. Um, Dipper didn't write any entries about this, but there is a section about the crystals. If I can get the book open. So this is written by the author. I've already read it. There's no spoilers. So this is about the height-altering crystals, and this is from the author's notes from journal number three. Here we go. Legends of miniature buffaloes and giant squirrels had led me to believe that there are height-altering properties hidden deep within the forest. Initial testing indicates that these crystals hold the power to alter any living creature's height. Different colors perform different functions. A. Shrinking properties. B. Enlarging properties. C. Staying the same properties. These are called rocks. Uh, Could this be responsible for the 60-foot beaver attack of 1973? Uh, Do not ingest these. You don't want your stomach growing out of your ears. Such power could be extremely useful as both a weapon and a tool. Plus, it might be nice to be an inch or two taller. I will have to search for these sources of these crystals when time permits. I just like the idea that Gravity Falls had a giant beaver attack in 1973. That's it! All right. That was journal number three. But I also really like the idea that there's beaver attacks in Gravity Falls. (laughs) I like also there's just that little meta line, too, of... You might want to be an inch taller, kind of like a little wink towards the episode. Well, that's the thing. He's like, maybe I can find some sort of growing thing. And then he flips right to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, now time for the next part, which is my favorite part. Your theories and speculation corner. So do you have any new theories for this episode? Yeah. Giant caterpillar equals giant moth or butterfly. Oh, my God. Mothra. So. (laughs) So. I, there was never any that the the caterpillar just crushed a car and then and then took off with no resolution saying giant moth someday <laughs> do you or, have, or butterfly do you have anything for gideon because i will say because I'm, I'm gonna set this one up for you because gideon's first appearance he wanted to be with mabel but now his sight has shifted to getting the mystery shack what are your speculations about gideon and set him setting his eyes on the mystery shack well, he's probably going to get more... Uh, he's got to get more crazed because that's what happens to guys. Like, Because he went from wa- wanting to date Mabel and then it's like, I need the mystery shack. But by the end of the episode, he was like, I just want to destroy this family. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going in that direction where to where he may not even know what what his reason is after a while to... he's It's... Yeah, he's only going to get more crazed the more he gets frustrated in his goals. But that's all. uh, Yeah. All right. Cool. (laughs) I I literally put a like phase through my brain when you give me little hints like that to try to keep me from thinking too much into it. I'm only talking about stuff in the episode. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, for the next part, our cipher corner and connections to previous episodes. 
So there is one connection to a previous episode, and it's at the end when Gideon is sitting with his parents on the couch. And behind them, there is a blank spot on the wall that's uh, that's a little different shade of a different color because it's faded. And that's where the clown picture used to be. And it was the clown painting that Stan stole from their household back in the episode, The Hand That Rocks Mabel. And he ran away with the painting going, you'll never catch me suckers. And it was just showing that that painting was still missing because Stan still has it. It's a really dumb thing, but I, I just laughed I, I, Yeah, I did not notice. <laughs> and as always, there is a cryptogram at the end of the episode. And once it's deciphered, it reads, the invisible wizard is watching. <laughs> Alex Hirsch, are you watching your characters? Is there actually an invisible wizard? Who knows? It's it almost proves itself, you know. I know. There's so many who just can't prove things. there's not an invisible wizard doing everything. Mm-hmm. Hey, Chris, you know what time it is? Is it is it comment time? It is a comment time. <laughs> I knew it. How did I know it? So well, it is in my notes. <laughs> I like so this our... comment, by the way. Yes, I figured. Bring so this our comment on. So our wonderful patron Kate. Um, every time I say patron, I always think like I'm about to say like patron saint, saint of something. Our wonderful patron saint of Kate. <laughs> you call them patron patron saints. That could be your. <laughs> we'll see. But Kate has sent us a wonderful comment for our episode, "The Time Traveler's Pig," and she is about to explode Chris's email. So here's Kate's comment, and it says, "Time Hog Day." Time Hog Day, Chris is a genius. As you know, I'm very happy to take any negative comments about me in emails and comments, but I'm also willing to take genius comments too. Thank you. It was quite genius, Chris. I, I lost my shit as well. <laughs> and then the rest oh, of the comments. Writers groups is going to hire me one of these days, I guess. <laughs> and then the rest of Kate's comments for Time Traveler's Pig is. Weirdly, I think this may have been my first episode of Gravity Falls 2. It's a great episode. I really enjoyed the point you made about Dipper choosing Mabel's happiness over his own. Chris's theories about Waddle reminds me of the Nibbler storyline from Futurama, if either of you are familiar with that. When I was first reading that, I'm like, what was my theory of Waddles? And then I remembered it, and I'm like, you know what? Subconsciously, I probably got that theory from Nibbler, because now that I'm remembering describing it, it's like Waddles at the end is like, I've actually been watching every... And that's what Nibbler did. He was this little... I don't know if he watched pure drama, but he was this little alien, cute little alien with an antenna on his head. And he just I, ate anything. He could eat huge amounts of things, and he was this little tiny alien, and that was a gag. But, you know, after a couple... I, I don't know. He was on the show for a while, but then they found out that, you know, he was part of this whole world and he was just like oh, i've been studying your species for blah blah and spoke in this like rich intelligent voice and before would just make little cute noises and stuff and they thought he was just a little cute animal so yeah, yeah. i probably subconsciously did uh rip that off from or get that idea from uh futurama i really want to sit down and like watch futurama straight through because i've seen a lot of futurama but I always saw it out of order. Like, I would catch a couple episodes on Adult Swim. I would catch a couple episodes on Comedy Central. And I've and I've seen, like, all the, like, the big hit ones and stuff. 
but I've never, I know I haven't seen every single episode. And I've never seen it, like, straight through in airing order. It was always just bits and pieces here and there. So I actually have, like, a lot of difficulty remembering parts of Futurama because I would watch, like, I would watch, like, um, oh, what's her... The, the Asian girl and the green alien that worked with Zap Brannigan. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, and, and like, Amy, I, I, Amy and Amy, I yes. Yes, and I can't remember the green alien, but he's, he's sort of the toady, he's sort of the, the wimpy toady. Yeah. I would like watch an episode of them together, and then another, I would watch another episode of them, and they're broken up, and then I would watch another episode, and they're together. So it's just really hard for me to piece together. Like, that's yeah. just an example. But that, it's really I think that was for me. That was yeah. played as a gag, I think. We're watching it out of... I don't think there's a lot of... But that's just lo- an example. A lot to watching it in order. It's pretty It's pretty episodic. And, like, the thing about her and that character was, like, sometimes they were broken up, sometimes they weren't. So they were always on and again, off again. So... Yeah. But like, what I'm saying, like, like it, I, I just have a lot of difficulty remembering parts of Futurama. Yeah. Because I watched it so out of order. Like, when it comes to stuff like Leela and Fry... Like, I would watch, like, a very early episode and then, like, a very late in the series episode where they're a thing and then go back and watch a very early episode. But I didn't realize I was watching them out of order. So, like, I was just very confused. Because <laughs> I didn't really, because I would just watch whatever was on. And I'd be like, oh, Futurama's on. And I would watch an episode. I'd be like, this is, I don't remember this part. <laughs> what happened? So I don't think Futurama ever really had a chance to fully sink into my brain. Yeah. Because I remember parts of it really strongly. But there's other parts I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Because <laughs> people will bring it up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Nibbler was like a really super smart alien that was watching them the whole time and went off with his people. I did see that episode. I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, Fu- Futurama is like a sci-fi fan's just treat. It's very well written and it's full of good good funny references to science fiction and science fiction ideas i will say i constantly sing bender's line from fry's opera which is that is called irony (laughs) i think that i love that episode where uh fry gets the devil bot's hands and he makes a musical for (laughs) leela yeah so i one of my things I really want to do one day is, you know, not like in one setting, but I want to slowly like, make my way through Futurama because Futurama's I... has got the robot devil. The robot devil's a great character. Yeah. Yeah. All the robot aspects of it. There's a, the ro- there's a, that robot preacher who looks like an old uh, radio and, and talks like a, you know, like a charismatic black preacher. The, the, the robot characters in it are mwah. Dr. Zoyberg. I remember Dr. Zoyberg. Dr. Zoyberg is fun. <laughs> but There's I always a... love Zap Brannigan. There was a, my favorite episode is the one where where they go to college and it's sort of a ripoff of Animal House and Bender joins Robot House and it's all these gags, but at the end of all the gags, the the Dean comes out shaking his fist going, Robot House. <laughs> well, thank you for the comment, Kate. We really appreciate it. Robot House. <laughs> yes, thank thank you. I'll I, I'm gonna gloat on my genius status for a little while. He'll he's gonna like copy and paste it onto a document and blow it up and like print it out and stick it on his wall beside his sheep shears. Yeah, on Facebook and Twitter. I'll get on Twitter for the rare time. Look, everybody, somebody else said it too. Someone thinks I'm a genius. Yeah, other than my fools. mom. 
See this, you fools? Somebody out there has some taste and style. <laughs> Somebody out there's paying attention. Well, as always, I would love to take a moment to thank my wonderful patrons. I love you guys so much. So thank you to Billy, Lynn, Patrick, Bree, Alex, Kate, and Heather. Your contributions mean so much to me. The show is here because of you guys. I love you so much. And if you want to have your name shouted out, look up Geeky Girl Experience on Patreon and you can join and you'll actually be all caught up. Um, our, my patrons are two months ahead of the normal episodes that I release on iTunes. So if you want to be all caught up and be two months ahead of your friends, then you should sign up for Patreon and that'd be really awesome. And it's a great way to support the show. So yay thanks guys i love you well that's all i had for little dipper did you have anything else no i'm all right so what are your final thoughts on this episode i liked it a lot i think it's taken a, a step forward in complexity i think they're starting to get to that it reminds me a little bit of clone wars where they're like okay i think we've uh introduced the whole all the cast of characters and you know, not. I'm sure there'll be new characters and stuff, but I, I think they've got everything pretty well established now that they can start making the stories a little more interconnected and, uh, you know, and having the A and B plot meld together, maybe even be the same plot eventually. So mm -hmm. that's that's what I where I think we're going with this. I personally love this episode too. Um, what makes this episode is Gideon. <laughs> Gideon is just oh, so he, great. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. great. But I do like the work that they're doing with the twins and just continuing to build on their relationship. You know, when, when you lay it out like that, I, I do agree. These kind of like middling episodes of season one is kind of like sort of treading water. And I don't want to say tre treading water in a bad way. They're very slowly introducing more and more pieces to everything. And so it's it's starting to come together more. And I, I yeah, I, I like this episode a lot, so... But, but Gideon is the star of this episode. He's so good. His family's terrifying. Yes, they are. Well, that's all I had. Where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. And that is our website. We got all our podcasts there. It's been a while, but as we're recording this, we just crossed our our line where the 5,000th podcast was released over Two True Freaks. Amongst all of our podcasters, so that's a lot of that's a lot of podcasts. So congratulations to everybody. And we should clarify that's podcast episodes, not episodes, five thousand yeah. individual shows. No, yeah, it's five five thousand episodes of a bunch of different podcasts over the course of like twelve years. Something like that, yeah. So, so yeah, we're doing pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. When you're at twotruefreaks.com, you can see all our podcasts. You can. Click on them and listen to them there. You can subscribe to each of their their RSS feeds. You can subscribe to them on uh, iTunes. You can go to um, Facebook and see the Two True Freaks Cantina if you're a Facebook person where we hang out. Or you can go to the Two True Freaks podcast page, which is sort of just uh, where we release all our podcasts. And you can also go to Twitter. and We're on Twitter if you search for Two True Freaks. And that is run by... The irreplaceable Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, because Gene. nobody else wants to go on Twitter. Gene, I go Ooh. on Twitter. That was me smacking two pins together. Brave, braver than me. I thought you. I thought you were doing it with your keyboard, but no, it was just me slapping a pink and purple pin together. Thanks, my pin friends. But where can they find you, Hope? Though, of course, you can More find me. 
<laughs> this is your <laughs> podcast. No, it's our podcast. We do it together. You're my co-host. I know. I know. I mean, honestly, we... We're doing it in your house. <laughs> in your we, world, in Hope's world. Honestly, uh, between Mullinex, Jake... Between J Guys and Jedi and then the show, I think we split these very evenly. You do the, the bulk of the, the work for J Guys and Jedi, and I do the bulk of the work here. And you know what? Between our two shows, I think we're pretty even, so... <laughs> Well, of course, you can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. This is, of course, the animation podcast for that website, and you can read all sorts of reviews and such over there. As I mentioned at the top of the show, by the time this comes out, I would have written reviews for the second half of season one of Owl House. So since Owl House has Gravity Falls roots, hey, go check that out. You can also find me on Twitter at Hope Molinex. As Chris mentioned, we have a Star Wars podcast called Guys and Jedi, and I run our Twitter account for that. So if you want to go see some Star Wars content, you can find us at Guys and Jedi on Twitter. And I write fan fiction over on Archive of Our Own under the name Chaos Lydia. Chris, oh my god, I'm so excited for next week because it's one of my favorite episodes. Ooh, good. I have no idea. You want to hear the title? Sure. The title of next week's episode is Summerween. Summerween. Ooh. Summerween. It has one of my favorite monsters of the week. I love Summerween. Ooh, is it a pumpkin head? I can't uh, We'll say find anything. out. We'll find out. It, it is, I will say, it was their excuse to make a Halloween episode because this this show takes place over the course of a single summer. And they were oh, like, that's we right. wanted, they want it because it takes place over a summer. So they wanted a reason to do a Halloween episode. So they created Summerween. <laughs> Actually, Summerween in the real world was uh, a few weeks ago. So if you want to know this, and I'll, I'll see if I can remember to bring this up on next week's podcast but june 22nd or the second to last friday of june is summerween in our real world so we just missed it <laughs> but i'm so excited it's one of my favorite episodes and i've been like i actually thought this week was summerween so when i saw it was a little different i was like oh damn it <laughs> one more week we're almost there uh, one week yeah but then it's gonna be like months later actually you, you never know it might summerween might come out by like halloween <laughs> no, I'm doing that <laughs> I, 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 when I said that, I'm like, oh no, now she's gonna do the math. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh my god, we will be missing it by if if we if this podcast stays bi-weekly, which I will go ahead and let you know, guys. I'm debating making this a weekly not, podcast. Yeah. Because I released, I released two episodes every two weeks. I released one episode for the Patreon, and then one episode publicly, which is, goes on iTunes. The public episode would be missing Halloween by one week, if I stay on the bi-weekly schedule. Damn it! <laughs> but I'm thinking about going weekly, so it's not going to matter. So we'll see. We'll see if I can go weekly. We'll see. All right, bye, guys. All right, see you later. Yay! <laughs> oh, damn it! Now I don't want to go weekly! <laughs> <laughs> Just so I can have that fall near Summerween. Damn it! I'm so upset. <laughs> Why do I want to have a consistent weekly podcast, Chris? Hey guys, did you know that you were actually two months behind on Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons? My patrons over on Patreon have access to more episodes of this show as well as behind the scene content. Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website, Geeky Girl Experience, 
with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes, as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye.